Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from 4 Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickhead you could say it's just it's, they're just there's good racing and i enjoy it mm. from the racetracks across australia and around the world here's inside supercars hello and welcome to inside supercars for another week joining us the voice of v8 supercars it's chad Naylan. good evening chad hello craig i think i've passed that mantle on to my housemate matt nolte actually these days i think he uh he spends more time on the mic than i do oh well well I'm still going to give you that credit for it at the moment. The man who everyone is gunning for, though, is the four-time day, four-time night premier, no, is the is the four-time V8 Media Association Commentator of the Year, Richard Kral. Uh, g'day, Craig. Chad, it's only three for one, but I'll take it. I like it. You've already been given a shoe in for this year, by the time. I know. And, and you know what's you know what's really worrying about that. Mm. I'm in charge of the voting. Yeah, I know. I know. So uh, it's, it's lucky we uh, we get on all right. <laughs> Three votes are crail. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's the way we should do it in future. But we digress because this is about the Sandown 500 and the wash-up from the Sandown 500. Great stories, Richard, coming out of this meeting. Obviously, the one, two, four... Uh, for the Pepsi Max crew is the highlight. It certainly has put an exclamation point on their year and we've still got Bathurst to go. Mm, it was the next big test for them, wasn't it? Uh, after their form over the last few months and how dominant they've been and stringing together some really good results and, and Mostert and Winterbottom sort of pressuring each other and Reynolds in the mix as well. I think we all went into the Enduros waiting for what has been almost an annual occasion for uh, Pro Drive Racing Australia, FPR and its previous incarnation, to find a way to lose the championship. Um, but if anything, they've just firmly strengthened their uh, chances of doing that this year with a very, very impressive performance. It was a pretty good race, I thought, in the end. It, it wasn't a thriller by any means, but it had plenty of intrigue going the whole way through. And um, those last 50 laps, we had the top five or six covered by for four or five seconds and nothing more, and they're all, all battling on. It was uh, it was good stuff. So enjoyable weekend at an enjoyable racetrack, which always produces pretty good racing. And, Chad, you, you were in the uh, fortunate position where you were still working with V8 Supercar TV on the race, but you had some time to really digest what was going on, and uh, you would have been impressed with the way that uh, a number of teams went about their business, but particularly since we're talking about ProDrive Racing Australia, the way they handled themselves. Yeah, it was funny. They kind of spent the first half of the race just making sure that they would be where they needed to be to make a charge at the end. They would fight. It's not like they led this thing from, from the absolute lights out to a checkered flag. They were getting creamed at the beginning of that race. Um, Dumbrell had a 14, 15-second lead over them at one point before Webb had closed that gap. But before that safety car came out, they were a long way off. And um, whether or not that was just them cruising around playing the game, there was no need to. I guess that safety car brought them back in, and then at the end of the race, they just ran away with it. The thing that surprised me the most about it, though, were the fuel numbers. And, you know, 
RD was out in the press the next day saying that everyone was a bit surprised at how quick how quick they were with the fuel that they had at the end. Now, that second safety car came out and kind of ruined the intrigue there a little bit. Everyone was kind of wondering if they were going to get home on fuel at that point. It looked like Shane Van Gisbergen had more fuel and was good to go because uh, Winterbottom in particular had pitted that little bit early. So we'll never really know what was going to happen with, with that safety car coming out. But, I mean, Frosty had enough fuel left in the tank to do some burnouts at the end. They were pushing each other the whole way to the flag. So it's not like they were ever trying to save some fuel. One of the big question marks going into Bathurst is if they can get to the mountain and have better fuel mileage, it will be a huge advantage towards the end of the race. I mean, obviously, look how our last year's race ended. So good mileage will definitely help. But even in a race that happened like the one in 2013, that was a mad just race, race, race to the end, that could be the difference between a pit stop that's two to three seconds shorter at the end of the race. And that could be a change for the lead right there or could be the final nail in the coffin. So not only were they quick, but they might have some fuel mileage up their sleeves and no one really figured out how that fuel number was looking. Richard, Red Bull Racing Australia, the new car for Jamie Winkup, did look like it was producing some good results and uh, it was just unfortunate their own mistakes in pit lane cost them the race. and That's something we have associated over the years with their competitors. Yeah, it is, but it sort of proves to the old adage that if it's not your year, it's not your year, and it's all sort of coming up that way for Wink Up, isn't it? So it's just one of those things that happens, and if anyone's going to be hard on themselves, it'll be Triple Eight, because they've been the most dominant force in the sport for years, and they'll always be the most self-critical, I guess, because they've got the furthest to fall when stuff like that happens. Um, but, but at the same time, it's surprising that things like that happen to that team that have been um, that have been so strong for so long, but but that's just the way the sport goes. And you know we've seen in the past years of domination for the Holden Racing team, then that step away to a couple of years of domination for Stone Brothers Racing, relative domination, um, and then of course the rise and rise of Triple Eight and Jamie Winkup, and then it seems now that the mantle, at least for the short term, has moved across to uh, to Pro Drive Racing Australia. But at the same time, like you correctly said, Chad, that PD was out in front by 15 seconds before the first four stops, and they were looking really good. They had good pace on Saturday. It looks like they've got some one-lap speed back in that car as well, so qualifying for a better chance for them now. And um, We know that doesn't mean a huge amount going into buffers, but it's always good when you've got car speed. And they're always there or thereabouts when they get to October, and, and it was only a, a, a fuel issue, like we're talking about, that cost them the victory last year. So they're, they're as good a chance as anyone, I think, sure, PRA is probably the form team and if you can pick a favourite going to Bathurst there it but I don't think uh, Red Bull Racing is too far away from the mix especially no. uh, car one and you can never count out to see what that plays with it. No. And uh, Shane Van Gisbergen after a couple of races of having dramas the team found finally found the problem and having unlocked that issue in the back end it was uh, certainly a return to form for the Gears and, and Chath, it's amazing that the incident with Garth Tander at Hidden Valley was the start of the problem, which they didn't find for, what's that, three other meetings. Yeah, that's uh, that's an unusual one, you know, for the kind of team that we know that they are. Very, you know, the, I would have take a fine comb to everything. But um, now that they've unlocked that speed again, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what they, uh, if they can go on with it. It's a pretty handy time to find that speed probably say they're a bit far off back in the championship down in seventh but 
Um, looking forward to seeing how they can, if they come home with a wet sail from where they are. They weren't perfect on the weekend. They, you know, Shane made one or two errors behind the wheel. Um, Webby knocked board A out in the first race in the first corner, was lucky to get away with one. Shane did the same thing in his race for the grid uh, as well. So they didn't have the perfect weekend, but they, they did what they needed to do to get on the podium, I suppose. Mm. We'll take a break and talk more about Sandown right after this. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Begley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Chad Nalen and Richard Crowell. And Crowley, it, it was interesting that at one point there we were looking at Brad Jones racing two cars, Fabian Coulthard and Jason Bright, racing for, I think it was 23rd and 24th. It was an amazing place to see both those cars. Yeah, and, and that was a bit of a surprise, but they've, they've had a shocking run at Sandown for the last five or six years. They've, they've never been in the mix there, and I don't know what it is, but every time we rock up at the mountain in October, they're always there. So it's just a place that doesn't suit that team. I don't know why they haven't got it, got it right. But, um, yeah, it's a bit of a surprise because they're, they're always a team that um, that is able to pull a strategy ace card out, and, and Brad, we know, is very inventive on that. They were in the mix towards the end there, I think, and they, they, they got cost quite badly in that second or that last safety car, uh, and, and they didn't want that. They wanted to press on. They had good fuel to go to the end, whereas and they were hoping guys would run out in front of them, basically, and it didn't happen, and that safety car stopped that. So they probably finished a little bit further down the order than uh, they expected, and they certainly would have hoped. So, um, yeah, just one of those things. But, yeah, it's strange, but uh, I don't think you can count that team out from a solid result when we get to uh, get to the mountain. Mm. Chad, four Datsuns, three of them with brand-new engines, and none of them really uh, having a stellar weekend. No, the Enduros don't seem to be kind to Nathan, apart from uh, last year when, I mean, I could have rocked up my RAV4 and had a shot at getting on the podium last year, the way last year's race worked So, at, uh, at Bathurst. But um, the driver pairings were an interesting one there. I thought that, you know, while the speed was a little bit lacking, they at least, you know, Car 15 did a good job to, to get itself to the end in a pretty good position. But one guy who probably got overlooked as a really solid co-driver on the weekend was uh, Fonz. Dean Fiore, he put in such a good drive and his speed was so good that they decided to pit that second car, sorry, they decided to pit that car for a second stop uh, about 10 laps before that magical lap 54 marker. Actually, it was only about five laps before it. And the reason they did that is because they trusted Dino's speed. He was on par with, um, with Caruso pretty much throughout the whole weekend. And that kind of went under the radar until they pulled that stop out. Everyone said, oh, why would you come in five laps before you can get your co-driver out? But they're actually backing Dean to continue that speed. So all the talk about Ambrose stalling on the grid and Carl Reinler doing a really good job driving and a few other co-drivers like Paul Dumbrell taking the headlines but uh, and Waters too with all those passing manoeuvres. But I actually reckon Fiore was almost a best-on-ground performance in terms of co-drivers, given the fact that he was in a car that you know, clearly didn't, um, didn't have the power to go fighting with the rest. 
Richard, two genuine rookies in the race as co-drivers. You had Macaulay Jones and Jack LeBrock. How did you rate their performances? Uh, probably hard to get a rate on both of them, to be brutally honest. I, I think I think Jack did a did a good job in the Erebus car, um, and that was another team that that had a disappointing day because um, uh, the nine car, the Davison boys, were well inside the top ten before that thing broke. Um, they they were they were quiet, weren't they? But at the same time, if you can get through an endurance race without making a headline as a rookie co-driver, um, fresh out of the Dunlop series, if you can get through an endurance race weekend, including all the practice sessions and all the other bits and pieces that go with it, without attracting a headline for fencing it, uh, especially at that place, um, I think it has to be a success. And I think they both, both did a pretty strong job. The, the real test for those guys will be in a month's time when we get to Bathurst to see how they really go. But... Uh, yeah, solid. What was your highlight of the weekend, Chad? Ooh, um, highlight for the weekend? Probably probably the co-driver race. I say that every year, I think, stand down. I just love seeing something different. I don't know if it's my speedway background, but I love heat racing and this whole idea of racing for a, a, a grid, you know, on the, the big dance or the A-main, whatever you want to call it, on Sunday. And it's funny, you know, so many people grumble about it. Oh, this is too hard to understand. Oh, this is a bit different. I don't like it. It's a bit untraditional. But, you know, granted, I wouldn't like to see it for Bathurst. But for a race like Sandown, I love it. And that co-driver race was uh, was a real cracker. You know, we had, again, a bit of biffo in the first lap and the boys were having at it. And uh, I was suitably impressed with how they all handled themselves once again this year. And it's just cool seeing 25 cars on the grid but with different drivers in them. Mm. There seemed to be, talking about co-drivers too, Richard, there seemed to be a, a bit of stress over in that um, Preston Hire garage, the 18 for Charlie Swerkholt Racing. Uh, yeah, I, I can't speak too much to that. I'm not, not privy of what went on. But um, I, I think uh, Bordeaux did a reasonable job. Um, they qualified really well. He dropped a few spots early in, that first, in, the, in his race, um, which just attributed to the fact that those cars were the reasonable way to feel and a reasonably tall diff ratio are pretty difficult to get off the line. He, he um, got punted, though. Board 80. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the first corner. Yeah, correct. Absolutely so, shafted. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and it was lucky not to be a multi-car um, jump, wasn't it, really, in the end? Mm. Um, yeah, look, I, yeah, they'd be disappointed with that because that was by far and away the best weekend they've had all year and the special <laughs> weekend that, that team's been crying out for. Um but but then again, all four walking tour cars by the end of the weekend were pretty strong, and I thought um, I thought the super cheap car was was a bit of a dark horse all weekend. Um, mm-hmm. TD drove really well, Alberto, um, arguably Slade's best driver of the year as well. Um, so they were strong, and and also a good performance from the back of the field for uh, for super sub sub Ingle and Jack Perkins who drove their way through. And I, I really liked Garth Tander's drive at the end. It's just whenever the chips are down and it you're struggling and maybe the car's not quite there. If you deposit Garth Tander somewhere in the mix at the end of the motor race, he'll make it count. And and he proved that again on Sunday by getting that car up the order. And they got him out with that leading group after that last safety car and he was P5 and he worked his way forward. So really, really impressive drive again and salvaged a pretty good end result for, for the Walkinshaw Quartet after what was not a brilliant start to the weekend on, on raw speed and qualifying pace. Mm. Yeah, certainly the Sandown format, I agree with you, Chad. It's a, a, a great one. Um, and probably it's the most challenging 
for the co-drivers because there is one race there where it's all on their shoulders. Yeah, but what a great opportunity if you're a Perkins or a Dalberto or not so much a Webb because he could plug himself in at any point to a drive next year. But um, whilst it's, I guess you could call it high risk, high reward, there's, uh, the stakes are high in that one. And, you know, Cameron Waters would probably be quite disappointed that he didn't hold on for the win there. He would have had a rear gunner in Steve Owen that could have held PD back for a lap or two, and then he could have gunned it. I mean, it's the first tiny mistake he's made all year, and it would have would have you know been a huge message had he won that race, given how many stars were in it. So um, I was definitely impressed with how Dalberto went in that race. Um, definitely impressed with how Canto went, not only in that race, but all weekend. Uh, it's just Isn't he an amazing story? Oh, <laughs> just incredible. Every year, man. Yeah, he's joined you in Adelaide now, so... Yeah, 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 he's been there for a while, does nothing, and he, I think he's done... He did one Aussie GT race at Phillip Island in an Aston Martin, and the thing was a rocket ship with him behind the wheel. He got the thing up to third, and then it broke, so he got no more laps. Um, and that's about it. He does his driver training, and, and they wheel him out once a year in that Bodlow rig, and he is every bit as fast as any other co-driver on the field. Mm. Yeah, it is indeed. We'll take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as Fiat Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Rich Crowell and also Chad Nalen joining me, Craig Ravel. And guys, big news, a number of big stories breaking over the weekend, but the big one as far as new sponsors into the sport, Harvey Norman coming on board for the Supergirls effort at Mount Panorama. And, Chad, it's going to be interesting to see the model, my understanding is it's going to be similar to the super cheap auto model where you'll see a number of brands on the car all being brought into the sport by the Harvey Norman distribution uh, through the Harvey Norman distributing platform. Cool. I'm not actually 100% across how that deal works. Um, all I understand is that it's a part of a thing that's meant to support um, women in sport, not just motorsport, obviously, but across the board. So just fantastic to see a, a new brand in the house. Definitely something that I'm going to have to read up and get get across before we get to uh, Bathurst. And a couple of um, interesting names to be in there, obviously, with Renee, uh, her experience so far in Australia. It's going to be a real eye-opener for her at Bathurst. Not saying she won't do a good job, but it's just going to be a very tough weekend. Um, and it'll be great having a, a second IndyCar driver on the grid for the weekend too. So, no, if... Um, if that's what it takes to bring in a brand as big as Harvey Norman to the sport, then I reckon that's awesome. Mm. Richard? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. It's always good when, irrespective of the circumstances in which they come into the sport, uh, it's good to have a household brand, but also a brand that's not a not a oil company or a motorized parts store or, or a car brand come into it and actively you know, activate it. It was like that. We've seen brands like Norton come into the sport and get a lot out of it even though it's not 
traditional marketing for what that brand might be. So you could throw Harvey Norman into that mix and it's positive that they come into it. And I hope they get a great experience out of it because even when this program finishes, it's a once-a-year deal, they might look at it and go, well, this is fantastic. We like what we got out of it. Let's do something full-time. Mm. And any time you bring a new sponsor into the sport is positive. As long as they're looked after and managed well, and I'm sure they will be, um, that, that, that's the best thing about it. And, and a new brand in the sport, a major brand, big company, they've got lots of commercial contacts within them, like you were saying at the top there, Craig, where they can bring new people into the game, their partners and their business associates and people they do business with. So just, you know, new names in the sport's a good thing. Um, so the more that, that occurs, the better everyone off is. And uh, I'll second Chad's notion to uh, exciting to have uh, the Swiss Miss in the, in the field. Um, what, Martina Hingis? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, having, having Simona on the grid is very, very exciting. She's a fast driver. Showing what she can do in IndyCar racing and Formula E and a whole bunch of other different categories. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how she adapts to a car with a roof overhead for the first time in her career. But, um, man, she can, she can drive. She's courageous, so uh, across the top, she could be pretty good fun to watch, I think. Mm. Now, another story that folks broke on the weekend, Crayley, was that James Warburton, V8 Supercars, are going to be lobbying the Victorian gov- government extremely heavily to try and keep the Sandown Motor Racing Complex in its existence, even if the Melbourne Racing Club, I think it is, not Jockey Club, um, decides to start... um, Is it Turf Club, sorry? um, Decide to start selling off the adjoining land. It's a a big call. Yeah, look, it is. Um, I I haven't read the story uh, from folks, but I'm across a lot of the rumours going around with that place and a lot of talk on the weekend that that it's got a shelf life until sometime around 2019, uh, and that's when it might well become an endangered species. The, the bottom line is we cannot afford... Forget V8s for a moment. As a sport as a whole, we can't afford to lose circuits, especially circuits like Sandown. And it's such a good facility. It's in the middle of Melbourne suburbia. You've got 4 million people living within 50 minutes' drive, depending on traffic conditions, at any one time of the day. Um, it, it's a really important place, and any moves that V8s can do is the the big business side of Australian motorsport. If, if they can help save it, I'm all for it, and, and good on them, because that would be a very, very good move, because um, it would be Oran Park-esque in losing that place. It would be, be a real, real disappointment to the sport, because it's a place with so much history, and it's a really good racetrack, and it's a really good facility. It's got everything going for it, um, if they can help make sure it sticks around for another 10, 20, 30 years, then uh, all power to them. Mm. Well, we need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett. You are listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Still a bit in shock. Uh... <laughs> Thanks, thanks everyone. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Got to put money back into the sport at the lower levels to develop the kids and bring them up. You can't rely upon good luck for Daniel Ricciardo's old man to have found a few mates to tip some money in and send him overseas. There actually needs to be a structure. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. 
Hi, I'm James Moffat. Hi, I'm Michael Caruso. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. Richard Crowell, Chad Nalen. What have we learnt from Sandown that we'll be taking into Bathurst, Chad? Um, it's more about what haven't we learnt. You know, I, I heart back to those fuel numbers from ProDrive. In the commentary box, we have a whole bunch of data that gives us you know, pretty much up-to-date fuel numbers as to literally how much fuel in terms of litres is in someone's fuel tank for that race. Um, it's, it's all very advanced, the kind of stuff that we get to actually look upon. And I, just, I was just fascinated that everyone in, in our world was convinced that those Fords were not going to get home from where they were. That's why Wing Cup ducked into the pit so early, that first stop where they ran over the, the hook or the bolt, whatever it was, that gave them the flat tyre. Everyone was expecting that they would need two stops to get home. And I know they've got a safety car there, but that would have given them two laps of fuel back, one lap maybe. But um, I just, I'm fascinated to know how that's going to work out for Bathurst. If you have not only the fastest car, plus the best drivers, nearly, um, definitely top five drivers, then throw in extra fuel mileage too, how could you be beaten at Bathurst? <laughs> it's just a perfect combo. Yeah. Richard, what was your... Light bulb moment for Bathurst. Um, I, I, I back up what Chad said. I didn't have one. It's just so it's pretty cloudy, and it, and it's all thanks to that last safety car. I think in, in terms of the race and and how it's going to play out on the mountain, um, we just don't know. Um, but I, I think what it did do was, I think that was a really important race for Pro Drive Racing Australia. That's been a Red Bull track for a long time, and I know they had issues there. And I know Wink Up had that second pit stop from a deflating tyre and. All the problems they had, the, the bottom line remains is that that is still very much a Red Bull racetrack. And I, I just think it's such a key race that ProDrive won and really asserted where they're at in the championship. I think the other key thing is now, and I'm just as likely to eat my words on this in two or three months' time, but it's probably the weekend we'll scratch Jay Wink up off as a championship contender. Like well, there it is. From 800 points I've down like he is now, I don't know the exact figure, it's a lot. Um, to come back and win it from here, just just etch him in top of the all-time great list because it would be a sight to behold. Um, and and you would be massively unlucky if your PRA to lose to Jamie Winkup. I'm not saying that someone else can't win it, but um, but for Jamie to come back now and win the championship would be mighty. So I think that's probably the key thing from this weekend. However, it opens a can of worms for Bathurst, doesn't it? Because without a championship weighing on his shoulders. Um, being likely to go hell for leather there and uh, make a big show of it. <laughs> just, just, what, just to back up what Crowley is saying there, somebody made a really good point to me in the weekend that Sandown is almost a metaphor for the entire season when it comes to Wink Up. He dominates Sandown. He usually dominates the entire championship. And I just wonder if what happened on the weekend is going to sum up his championship again this year. Not that it was dominance this time. It was almost the opposite. And, you know, glimpses of speed, especially early on. Look at Clipsal, won the first race of the year and then it kind of fell away in the middle. And that's almost what's happened this year to him. Mm, yeah, it, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Guys, I wanted to speak to you about driver movements and sponsorship movements. Um, of course, we've got all the talk about who's going to techno. Is Coulthard going to Team Penske, DJR Team Penske, to be perfectly correct? Richard, where are you seeing the lay of the land? Are you seeing an opening for Cam Waters or anyone else in that Dunlop series? on the grid next year. Um, do, do you guys get the impression that there's more seats, there's less seats than there are drivers, or more drivers than there are seats? I mean, there's always that scenario, but 
but this time it just seems to me that when all, there's a lot of balls in the air and there's not enough holes for them to land in, um, and, and guys that either stay in the championship or don't, like there's, there's question marks. What I mean, stuff like Jason Bright, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether he's going to go around again. Um, what what does that evolve? Does it mean BJR make the call, or is it BOC, or is it a combination of the two, or is it up to Brighty? Um, there's so many variables like that. So if Bright stays, there's one seat completely gone, and or if he goes, all of a sudden there's another really good seat, you've got to say, opens up. So there's just so many variables like that. It's really tough to, um, tough to speculate, but it's going to be a pretty interesting couple of months because I think there's a... There's a fair bit of movement to come out of this, and I think there could be some very different-looking driver combinations when we get to the uh, Cooks of 500 in early March next year. Mm. And, Chad, the interesting thing to me, conspiracy theorist nut, is <laughs> they put three new engines in the Nissans, and James Moffat has the old engine. <laughs> Am I perhaps out there on a limb with my conspiracy theory thoughts? Well, it's um, it's a you know if they only had three, three people are going to get them, and it's always going to be Rick and Todd. So it's either going to be a fifty-fifty shot that it's going to be Moff or Caruso, tying to the fact that it's the end of a contract at the end of the year. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, it's it's certainly not drawing a longbow, that's for sure. Um, outside of that, you know, we say is there going to be room for Cameron Waters next year? I'd, you know, I'd be amazed if he's not on the grid, to be honest, somewhere next year. Look at all the drivers on the weekend who prove that they deserve to be on the grid. Pitta, you know, Dalberto. Um, it's just a heap of blokes that deserve to be full-time drivers next year in the series. And uh, as Crosley said, not enough seats getting around at the moment. Mm. And, of course, it, while it hasn't been announced, it's being talked widely in the, pit, in the pits and in the garage that there's a lot of poaching going on of sponsors. And that's a, that's a worrying sign, Richard. You know yourself. You need teams to be bringing new sponsors in, not just you know, getting someone else's sponsor off another team's car. Yeah, but at the same time, uh, it's a still a very, very difficult sponsorship market, Craig, and it, it's tough to go and find new sponsors when there are ones in the sport that you can try and woo and get them, and that's always going to be the easiest way. Um, but that's just, that's just the way it's gone for years. It's always been the same. Um, it, it's probably more apparent now than it ever has been because there's a a perceived or, or maybe factual lack of sponsorship around the sport, and there are a couple of cars that are probably quite light on. Um, it, it's probably more apparent now than ever, and, and the fact that it's such a big business now, and it's so important to have good commercial backing now, that, um, uh, that, that you need to go and find the best sponsor you can have. And you just need to look at the, the Tim Slade situation. There's been a lot written about Tim and his relationship with Supercheek um, and how decisive that is to whether he as a part in what Supercheck are doing next year or not. Um, where do they land? Do they stay with Walkinshaw? Do they go somewhere else? Is Tim Slade part of that picture? Does he go with them or does he not? Um, and, and Slade, he was saying, look, and he, I believe he's been quoted on this in the press, he said, I'll just make sure I look after the sponsor first and, and keep them in the loop and, um, and work with them because they're pretty key to the whole scenario. But um, sponsors drop and change. I don't have to look at the States and the way they go racing over there to, to see that. So... Um, part and parcel, but like we talked about before, having a new brand come in and drawn in by this all-girl team is positive because they might go, oh, we like this, and then they'll spread their money around to uh, to some other teams, possibly, in the future. Chad? 
Um, ever since the uh, tobacco money ran out in the early 90s, stealing sponsors off each other is nothing new. And Crowley's hit it on the head there. It happens a lot in the States, and it's going to happen a lot here. And you just got to make sure that you've always not only you know performing well on the racetrack, it's a lot more than just getting wins to keep a sponsor. And probably BOC and Jason Bright's another great example of, of what um, Crowley's talking about there with Tim Slade. And super cheap as well. They've, you know, it's a it's a solid relationship, and that's you know one of the reasons why they're in that seat. So um, we'll see. We'll see how it all ends up. I wouldn't be surprised if we see as many sponsor movements as we see driver movements this year, knowing how tough it is. Mm. Well, a break and a final thought after this on Inside Supercars. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page, and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels through the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars. A final thought, Chad Nalen. I'm going to uh, I'm going to get Crowley excited with this one. I'm going to because Crowley and I both very much delve into the world of sports across the weekend, and uh, I'm going to talk about a couple of great comebacks that are in the fold. One we saw a bit of on the weekend with Nick Foster getting three wins in a row in Carrera Cup, which I know obviously is very close to the heart of Crowley, mm. um, but. He was, what was it, Crowley, 298 points off Correct. the pace Correct. after yeah. Melbourne, and he's already in the championship lead. That's absurd. And then yeah, on this... top of that, go on. No, 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 I was going to say, this could be a joint final thought, because I was going to talk about the same thing. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll come back to you in a second. Um, so he was five races behind, more than 298 points. Um, he was out of the championship after two rounds. There was just no conceivable way he could get back into it, but... He's won eight of the last ten races, and anyone who's seen Porsche Cura Cup will know how competitive it is this year. You've got to beat guys like Stephen Richards and Craig Baird to do that, let alone guys like David Russell and Richard Musket. And the list goes on and on and on. Amazing performance. Really good. And it's not the only one we're seeing at the moment because Bowie's doing it in TCM, which is your other baby as well. So two from two. Mm. Richard Crowell. Well, yeah, as I said, Chad sort of stole my final thought there, and all power to him because it's a great, it's a great story. Um, look, I, I think the quality of the support product this year has been really good, and, and I think we should talk about that because um, uh, the, the overall package is, is really good this year. I think the Utes on the weekend were pretty exciting, weren't they, Chad? There was plenty going on in that, and um, Jeff Cloud getting his first win yep, there. Big underdog win. Yeah, absolutely, which is great to see. Um, Touring Car Masters, they had a round at Muscle Car two weeks ago, and Jim Richards is actually in front of the championship, believe it or not, and he hasn't won a thing all year. But consistency has just kept him there in front of Andrew Medikin. And as you said, JB now, third. And a really interesting fact, going into Sandown, there were six days where Jim and Steve Richards both led their respective national Australian championships. And 99% certain that's the first time that's ever happened. The same time they've both been racing at a high level in Australia. So that was a really cool point. So... Um, that's my final thought, but uh, great to see the support package and uh, the other categories going so well. Yep, it has done, and I'll highlight to the listener that I've got some interviews coming up with Tony Quinn 
and Craig Denyer about uh, GT and about uh, the Utes. And uh, very interesting thoughts from both those men. And I've got to say, the Tony Quinn interview, not to be missed. Absolutely first time in history. I do not need to have the beeper go in the entire 20-something minutes of interview. So that one is really one you want to listen out for. My final thought, it goes back to the support categories again. I can't believe we've all been on a supports run here. But uh, Craig Baird, who's not in, well, I should say, who's wasn't the co-driver in Sandown, but I wonder if he might get a call up for a Bathurst if one Jay Courtney isn't uh, 100% right. Had his first DNF since, I think it was 2011, but it could have even been in 2000-something. Mid-2011. I think it was August 2011, Craig, and you're quite correct. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Unbelievable. To have a run that long without a DNF is, is just remarkable, considering he was winning championships and is probably, if not the best, one of the best Porsche drivers in the world. Correct, and still in championship contention despite not having won a race since August last year, so uh, he's in the game. Mm. And that DNF was absolutely not his fault whatsoever. No, exactly no, That's right, right. Yeah, yeah. He got some friendly fire, didn't he? Yeah, it was just pure unlucky, that one. Mm. That's all we have time for this week on Inside Supercars. Thanks very much to Chad Nalem. Thanks, mate, and uh, bring on Bathurst. Thanks very much, Richard Grail. I echo those sentiments entirely. Bring on the mountain. (laughs) Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.